This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 70-inch. On this week's episode, we interview Brian Hackney, the multi-Emmy award-winning broadcaster, journalist, weatherman, documentarian, and he was Weird Al's former KCPR radio program director at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al it's a podcast about Weird Al. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Wow, what a week, Dave. How did you celebrate Al's two-year anniversary of getting the Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame? Well, I listened to Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast episode 69-inch, which aired last week with Jackson Scoggins and Polyester. What did you do? What was I doing? Well, I was listening to Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast episode 17-inch with Vicky DeVries. You know, your partner in Getting Al the Hollywood Star? That was another great episode. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that one, episode 17-inch. And I'm going to have to go back and listen to episode 69-inch. All right, now that we got that squared away, yeah, our (laughs) listeners really enjoyed last week's episode, too. We got a lot of great feedback about it. I am a little bit concerned about one of our listeners, Mike Minnick. I think he might be a time traveler. I agree. You know, over in our group, he posted this picture, which he only could have got from the future. Yes, it was a picture of our very own Hollywood star. And, you know, I don't think that anyone could fake something like that. Obviously, he must have come from the future with that photo. Well, hopefully it was a great ceremony, and hopefully the three-day festival that Jackson Scoggins hosted for us really went over well with all of our listeners. I was just a little bit surprised with that picture that Mike posted because on there, it's got us in the music category, not the radio category. So the only possible explanation is that it is not for our Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, but it is for our amazing parody of Spatula City. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So hopefully... We can get other future time travelers to come back and show us pictures of our radio star as well. Well, yeah, I think we should go for all five categories. So we're going to have to do something with the live theater. Maybe our live event with Jonah Ray for UHF. That might qualify for that one. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that they're considering us right now as we speak for that one. Now, of course, the other categories are motion picture and television. And Dave, we did record a video of us singing Yoda with Eric Roth, and that is a special exclusive for our Patreon members. That's probably what we will get the star in the motion picture category for. Maybe that video of the star ceremony that aired on the CW, that might qualify you for the television category. And certainly the special I had on VH1 for my tattoos, that qualifies me for the television category. So I think we got this pretty much locked up. Yeah, they'll probably want to combine us into one television star just to save space on the walk. So that makes perfect sense. So I'm really looking forward to all those ceremonies and all of those festivals that Jackson will be putting on for us. You know, Mike also sent us this parody that he recorded of this. It was a pretty obscure Weird Al rarity. And yes, the parody is really cool and it is podcast related, but it does require a bit of a backstory. So we're going to explain it all on a future episode and play his parody then. So thank you for that, Mike. And thank you for taking that amazing picture from the future. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Now, Dave, it is time for us to check the 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, sponsored by Angel Valenzuela and David Cash, two amazing Weird Al fans and podcast supporters. All right, Dave, here's the first message. 
Hello, my fellow Gillen Chillers. This is CB Johnny O'Hearn letting you guys know a little something I cooked up thanks to Al's drummer, archivist, fan liaison, and all-around cool guy, John Bermuda Schwartz. Many of you will surely remember the music that Weird Al and his band had performed when you've attended his concerts. But do you remember the music playing as you're walking in and settling into your seats? Well, that music isn't provided by the venue. Those are songs carefully selected by Bermuda to liven the atmosphere. I gather from fans such as Mike Minnick and Alanite that there were times in which the CDs would even rotate throughout the tour. There were a lot of tracks. So having wanted a meaningful way to broaden my tastes in music and binge some Weird Al adjacent content, I had asked Bermuda if I could have a list of the songs, or at least as many as he was able and willing to provide. And boy was I delighted with what I got. The selections totaled up to eight hours of content and are a mere sampling of what was used for tours in the past 15 years or so. Best part is that thanks to over-the-top digital streaming platforms, you can listen to them for free without stealing. I'm, I mean, the artists get a small fraction compared to buying an album, but hey, it's better than bootlegging it like some hooligan! Anyways, I've put together a Spotify playlist of every song on that list Bermuda gave me, with a few exceptions due to a lack of availability. Also, I should warn that some tracks were edited for length or content, so not every song would be exactly the same as when you heard it at the concerts. Regardless, I hope this brings fans down memory lane or broadens their musical horizons. Be sure to stock my account to find a few other good playlists about Al too. Stay weird, fellow fans. Wow, what a great idea. I never would have thought to put together a list like that on Spotify. Yeah, doing the gills work there. Thank you so much, Johnny. And if you head over to group.2000inch.com, you can check out that playlist. Johnny posted it over there, and it's really awesome. It's really fun to relive and trick yourself into thinking that a Weird Al show is about to start. <laughs> All right, on with the next message. Hi, David Ethan. This is Eric Rhodes calling from Austin, Texas. Letting listeners know that if you go see the movie, Bill and Ted Face the Music, either in theaters or VOD, during the end credit sequence, if you pay really close attention and don't blink at all and pay attention to the left side of the screen, you might see a really familiar-looking accordion player flash by pretty quickly. A really familiar-looking accordion player? By any chance you think he's talking about Lawrence Welk? You may have thought that, Dave. He did leave that message before Al sent out the official tweet in an Instagram post. Al confirms that he, in fact, submitted a video to be in the credits. He wasn't hired to do it. He just submitted it as a fan, and as luck would have it, they chose to put him in the film. So how cool is that? <laughs> that was pretty cool. I did watch that video. Video. And I at first I was fooled. I thought, remember a few months ago when Suzanne Yankovic posted something over on her Instagram, which showed Al and a camera crew? Yes. I was thinking initially that might be where this was filmed, but I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, Al is wearing a long sleeve blue shirt in both the video that he posted and the picture that Suzanne posted. It's possible, but I'm not 100% convinced on that yet. Yeah, I think they would have had to film a lot more stuff and then just use those two seconds because <laughs> Al is in a completely different location. The sky looks different. There's aerial shots. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm thinking it's not. But another really <laughs> interesting thing Al tweeted out is we had previously reported that Milo Murphy was no longer going to be making an appearance in the Phineas and Ferb movie Candace Against the Universe, but that doesn't mean Al wasn't still in the film. He tweeted out, 
that video where he makes a two-second appearance as T-Shirt Cannon Guy. Ah, T-Shirt Cannon Guy. That was the role that Al was meant to play. He's in there for like two seconds, and honestly, if he hadn't pointed out that he was doing the voice of T-Shirt Cannon Guy, I probably wouldn't have noticed. (laughs) Now that I've heard it, now that I know it was him, honestly, I can't even think of someone else who could pull off such a pivotal character such as T-Shirt Cannon Guy Except maybe Lawrence Welk. The jury is still out on which exact t-shirts he's firing out of the cannon. My thoughts are that he picked up the t-shirts over at our official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast merchandise shop at shop.2000inch.com. Yes, I bet he was shooting out the brand new Inverse Logo t-shirts. All right, well, that was the last special hotline, so I guess it's time for us well, to... Well, uh, Ethan, there's still another message. I think we should play it. No, I, no. I think it's time to move on. Uh, hello, this is Lieutenant Dan, uh, the San Luis Obispo Police Department, calling for uh, Ethan Ullman. Regarding the events of Sunday, August 26, 2018, at Building 62 on the Cal Poly campus... That sounded really important. No, I'm sure it's nothing. Uh, really, let's let's just move on. Uh, Ethan, you sure you might want to give? I a said call. let's move on, Dave. So, in other Al news, got some really cool stuff in the mail this week. Oh yeah, we got a poster from Amy Napierkowski. Yes, I remember we met her in Pittsburgh before the show, and she showed us this amazing poster she made of Al completely out of music notes from his songs. That picture was so pretty stinking majestic. How much work she put into it is a great depiction of Al. We told her how much we liked that picture, and she went out and she had posters printed of it, and she sent us each one, so... Thank you very much, Amy. It is going in our collections. We absolutely love it. Yes, thank you so much, Amy. It is pretty stinking majestic, just to say that one more time. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, Ethan, but I had a really busy weekend because there was a lot of Al stuff going on. Yeah, so many options, so many cool things. The two that really stuck out to me, though, were Bermuda's Q&A and Al's interview at the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival. Yeah, both of those were really good. Let's start out with Bermuda's Q&A. Now, I cannot believe it, but he talked for almost two hours taking questions from the audience. It was really a lot of fun. There was a lot of great Weird Al fans in there. A lot of our listeners, too, I noticed. Yeah, and I also noticed there was a guy in there named Al... Yankovichers? I don't know. I, I, I couldn't remember. I couldn't really read it. But it was a pretty stacked audience there. And it was pretty stinking majestic. He took so many amazing questions. And even the background was awesome. You could see all of his gold record awards and all that stuff. And they even had a slideshow going during the Q&A showing off pictures. And some of them were brand new pictures from the book. It was so cool to get to see more pictures from that book. I'm so excited to see when Black and White and Weird All Over comes out. And I get to see all the pictures in the book. But as they're dribbling out, I'm really happy I get to see a few at a time. Part of me kind of like, you know, I don't want to see them because it's spoilers. But I kind of just can't help it because they're just so pretty stinking majestic. I just have to see them. So the interview is archived over at the Book Soup website, but you do want to check it out because both Ethan and I, we have questions that we asked Bermuda and he answered them and he shared a lot of great information. Yeah. So not only did we get questions answered, he also gave you and Vicky a shout out for getting the star for Al. 
And that was so cool. And Dave, you asked a question about what was the toughest music video to shoot? Yeah, I was really curious because I know Bermuda hasn't been involved in every music video that Weird Al does, but I know that he is the archivist, so he does have a lot of experience with that. I was just kind of curious because Al's videos are all very well done, and which one ended up being the hardest to shoot? And I was a little surprised by his answer, but once I thought about it, I really wasn't. He said that the hardest video to shoot was the Lame Claim to Fame video. Yeah, directed by, of course, our guest from episode 29-inch Tim Thompson, and I can only imagine how much time goes into stop-motion animation like he did for that video. It's so cool. Yeah, I remember when we talked to Tim how much effort Tim put into it to get that, so I understand his answer now, but it wasn't one that I was thinking of initially. Yeah. (laughs) Bermuda said a couple other cool things. He mentioned that he was the alien creature in Eat It, the masked creature. Yeah, what was most surprising to me about what Bermuda said is that he mentioned that he had actually worked with Neil Diamond before. Now, I know he has the Neil Diamond connection through his brother, but I never realized that they actually worked together. So that was pretty cool. And one last piece, which I was really wondering about, is where that rubber chicken ended up. And he said that Vince Patterson still has it from the Eat It video. We will report back every couple weeks letting you know the status of said rubber chicken. Now, it is also important to remember that Book Soup is still taking these pre-orders for the book. And with the pre-order, it comes autographed by John. You can even have it personalized. It comes with this exclusive bonus set of five postcards, which he talked about what was on the postcards during that Q&A. And if you buy two or more, it comes with free shipping. So it's amazing deal. you want to check out BookSoup.com if you haven't yet pre-ordered or just to get some extras. One last thing that Bermuda did mention in the interview was that BookSoup is the only place where you can get that set of postcards. So if you are looking for those postcards, you're going to have to pre-order through BookSoup. Now, not too long after Bermuda's Q&A ended, we had... Al's Q&A with Jimmy Fallon and Lin-Manuel Miranda for the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival. It was so cool to get to see two big celebrity fans like Jimmy Fallon and Lin-Manuel Miranda interviewing Al. I mean, they're both huge Weird Al fans and just all three of them on the screen together. They were just nerding out. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) I was... Very surprised because every time it seems we see Al doing a thing over Zoom, he's usually in his studio and we see all those great records and posters and advertisements and stuff behind him. But this time he was in a different room of his house, maybe his living room. And I saw this immediately and I freaked out because right behind him on his bookshelf, you could see our friend Kelly Phillips book Weird Me on his bookshelf. And right behind it was Weird Al Seriously by our friend Lily Hirsch with the cover art also by Kelly Phillips. That was so cool getting to see both of those books in his bookshelf. (laughs) It was cool for us, but probably not as cool for Kelly and Lily. Yeah, for sure. That was so cool. (laughs) One of my favorite parts from that interview was this story that Weird Al told about how he went into a record store right after the My Bologna single had dropped. And he was just checking to see if the My Bologna single was in there or not. And he asked the clerk if they had My Bologna by Weird Al. The clerk jokingly said, oh, Weird Al was just in here. You just missed him. Or something to that effect. And I was like, oh, really? Because I am Weird Al. And the clerk did not believe him. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> you know, it kind of reminded me of that time that we were in Victoria, British Columbia with Bermuda. Yes, me too. I was thinking the same thing. So we had lunch with Bermuda. And while we were eating, he mentioned that he had checked out this local record store. And there were a couple cool 
things that he saw, things that he didn't need. But when he mentioned them, I knew that I needed them. So we headed over there after we ate and I grabbed them and I'm checking out. And this guy sees I have a stack of Weird Al items. And he's like, oh, you should probably have these signed tonight. You know, Weird Al's in town. And I said, <laughs> with Bermuda standing right behind me, oh, I think I'd rather get his drummer to sign it. And the guy just like looked at me and shrugged and <laughs> not knowing that Bermuda was right there and Al's drummer, of course. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. But yeah, so you can check out that whole interview over at ComedyCenter.org. It's only like 30 minutes long. It goes by real quick. And it's a lot of fun. You hear a lot of stories that you may have heard before, but there are a lot of really fun elements. And it's always great to see Jimmy and Lin-Manuel gush over how much they love Weird Al. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) So there was some other big Weird Al news that broke last week. Turns out that Weird Al is number 15 on Billboard's Top 100 Music Video Artists. Personally, I think that's a little bit low. He should be at number one. But how cool is it that he made the list at number 15? It was a really stacked list. I mean, obviously, I too believe he should be number one. I really don't think anyone makes videos more memorable than Al does or more funny or more rewatchable. I really appreciate it when the industry recognizes Al for all of his talents because it's really easy for them to just be like, oh, this is just some comedy guy. He's not really making a difference. He's not really doing great videos. But this really solidifies that Al has made such an important impact, not only in our lives, but in the lives of many fans of music and people in the music industry. There were some iconic names on that list that Weird Al fans will be familiar with. Nirvana, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Lady Gaga, Britney Spears, among others. I demand a recount. (laughs) (laughs) Now here's some exciting and unexpected Weird Al news. There is a new documentary called The Palindromus by Vince Clementi, and it premieres tomorrow, September 3rd, and it runs through September 20th as part of the San Francisco Doc Fest. And Dave, why do we care about this? Well, the documentary apparently is all about this competition where people come up with the best palindrome. So as we know, Al, of course, has a song all about palindromes. And it turns out that he's involved in this documentary as well. Now, in the article about this, Vince Clemente says the whole thing was an elaborate scheme for me to hang out with Weird Al. He's definitely one of my heroes. So I totally understand <laughs> that. I would totally make a documentary just to get to hang out with Al and record an interview with him. <laughs> if you go over and you watch their trailer, you can see Al in it twice. And it does say in the article that while Al does not write any palindromes himself, it appears like he's not actually participating in the competition. He does sing a song, but they say the song he sings is called Palindrome. So I don't know if they were a little bit confused about the name of the song and they really meant to say Bob or if there's a brand new song in there or a cover of something where Al actually does a song called Palindrome. I guess we're going to find out on September 3rd. Yes, and if you head over to sfdocfest2020.eventive.org, you can check that out and get all the information. Boy, all this Weird Al news is sure making me hungry. I could really go for some vegan food right now, Ethan. Ah, you're right, Dave. I could, too. You know where I just went this week in Troy, New York? I have an idea, but why don't you tell us? I went to Wizard Burger and got brand new vegan burgers. They were delicious, Dave. My favorite was the Orc Popper. It was like a jalapeno popper with a vegan burger with vegan cheese, vegan cream cheese. They had Melba sauce, onion rings, jalapenos. It was just amazing. 
all from Wizard Burger, my new favorite vegan restaurant. Wow, I totally was not expecting you to say Wizard Burger there. Yeah. But that's cool. They sound like they're a really cool place. Yeah, I love Wizard Burger. You know what I love best about Wizard Burger? It's the brand new pop-up from Burrito Burrito. This week's episode is brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in the quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a Burrito Burrito Burrito, but every Burrito 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 can be Burrito Burritoed. And... Check out their brand new pop-up, Wizard Burger. Follow them at Burrito Squared for more information. On last week's episode, episode 69-inch, Ethan, you told us all about how you made a pilgrimage up to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to visit the KCPR radio station. Well, how appropriate is that? Because this week, we have a guest that's part of the KCPR history. Dave and I are so excited to welcome to the program. He's someone who has won 18 Emmy Awards, two National Associated Press Mark Twain Awards. He shared a Peabody Award, but we know him as Al's program director from when he was a DJ at KCPR at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Please welcome Brian Hackney. How's it going, Brian? Oh, I'm sorry. I was pausing for the applause. I didn't <laughs> we'll edit that in later. Everything, everything is good out here on the West Coast. How are things in New York? We're doing great. We're doing great over here. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Well, I want to start at the beginning, Brian. When were you program director at KCPR? Well, I was um, program director, to answer your question directly. I was going to begin back in Hollister when I was born, but let me cut to the chase. Um, I was uh, program director from 19 the 1979-80 academic year and when did you become a student at cal poly uh the year before i majored in uh physics at cal poly but i'd always wanted to be on the radio and my sisters well remember me singing uh to monkeys records with a <laughs> pencil in my hand simulating a microphone <laughs> so i always wanted to be on the air and you know you're doing physics and you you're going Partial derivatives and Schrodinger's equation, it drives you crazy after a while. <laughs> and I thought, oh, KCPR, San Luis Obispo, has a radio station, um, you know, on the campus. And I thought that would be a fun diversion to get myself uh, just, you know, away from the physics milieu. Yeah. And uh, words rarely used in San Luis Obispo. And so I uh, first became special programming director first year there. And this was all weekend stuff. And then uh, program director the next year under our general manager, Rusty Scherer, who will figure later in this story. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Keep, hold on to that name, Rusty sure. Scherer. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious because I did spend some time in college radio. I'm curious, what was the process of actually joining KCPR? You asked. <laughs> I mean, you, did. You, you know, you couldn't say no to anybody. So it was there basically as a learn by doing thing. Cal Poly San Luis was yeah. then, still is, the learn by doing school, heavy into labs, um, heavy into let's see what you can do, practical as well as theoretical. So there was the campus radio station for the journalism students, but physics students, uh, biology students, and in Al's case, architecture students could, you know, just ask to pull a shift. And, uh, you know, you couldn't really say no to anybody. So if you were really awful, 
you'd get a shift, but it would probably be from three to six in the morning. There right. were such things. <laughs> right. And then when you got better, you'd get better shifts. Um, so, you know, I just said, I, I'd like to help and went down to the radio station and began to get into uh, into radio. That's so fun. And what was your show when you started? Oh, my God. I did Saturday afternoons from three to six in the afternoon dangerously close to the weird owl shift i was on every saturday night from nine to midnight um and he'd started a year or two before i think Mm -hmm. um i take it you know that al was you know of course an architecture student at cal poly right yes of course well let me tell you cal poly's architecture school is a coveted school it's hard to get in you have to be bright you have to be talented that's a totally different part of the brain, I think, from what Al ended up using to achieve this legendary <laughs> fame. But he was, you've seen his writing. I mean, his handwriting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, looks like an architecture student, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, um, that poor guy had to work like a dog in addition to, uh, you know, being on the air Saturday nights from nine to midnight. And the, the defining characteristic of Al was this. This is how he distinguished himself. Well, that's one of the ways he distinguished himself from everybody else in school. That man, even when he was just 20, had more energy if you could have hooked up electrodes to him <laughs> and sent it 14 miles away to the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, you could have lit up the Central Coast. <laughs> Al had indomitable energy. I've never known anybody. This is literally the truth. Well, you know, on, I, I never knew him, but Robin Williams looked like he had the same manic energy to me. He was just going all the time. And yeah. Al was just going all the time. So you didn't ask about that, but that's what I remember about my first when I was on Saturday afternoons from three to six, and there were echoes that Weird Al was going to be coming in in a few hours. And what the first few times I saw him, this kid was bouncing off the walls, and he was bouncing off the walls after pulling all-nighters doing his architecture projects. Wow. Yeah. And so you said Al was nine to midnight. Was that a good slot? Was that a coveted slot, or was that just kind oh, it was of a... prime? It was prime time. Children, let me take you back into the days of rubbing sticks together to make fire and <laughs> long before the internet, long before Pandora, long before digital downloads, when if you really wanted to listen to a variety of music, you would have to tune into a radio. Um, you'd buy your own, you'd roll your own, and you'd buy your own music, but you know, to be exposed to a lot of new and different music, well, there was the radio. And um, we had... Because Cal Poly, again, was learned by doing, still is. Back then, we expanded that to include the radio station, and that meant you had to follow a format. This was antithetical to, even at Cal Poly, which is a lot of straight-laced, hard-studying, science-engineering types, even they wanted to uh, express themselves on the radio. But they had to follow a format. Right. There was only one exception to that. And the only exception out of the other 160 plus hours a week were the three hours on a Saturday (laughs) night from nine to midnight when Al got on the air. And that's why I mentioned Rusty earlier because Rusty, wonderful guy, um, the general manager of the station, kept us together financially. Um, And that's not easy when you're a kid and Rusty had his own thing. You know, he had his own studies to do, but he was a great general manager. But he would occasionally say, you know, we make everybody else follow a format. 
except Saturday night from 9 to midnight. <laughs> and occasionally, Rusty would just raise an eyebrow at me and say, you know, Al really should be making an attempt to follow the format, too. <laughs> um, as program director, I was in charge of, I think, 73 different personalities, different kids, wow. students on the air, and I was a kid, too. I, you know, I'm a year older than, than Weird Al. And I would call in and sit down and talk to every student on the air. They were, again, they were not, a few of them were journalism majors, but many of the others were many different majors. Yeah. And I'd sit down with each one of them and say, okay, let's listen to a little bit of your show. Let me tell you the format that we've got at this station. You have to follow it. You get a little bit of latitude, but not much. Um, we had a mix of contemporary plus I insisted, this was my big Marcus program director, <laughs> I insisted that we play an oldie every half hour. And I said, <laughs> you know, come hell or high water, you are going to play the Lemon Pipers and Green Tambourine or something once every 30 minutes. Um, and laugh if you will, as much as you want, Ethan and Dave. But our station, student run, totally amateur, was number two in the market behind KZOZ. Wow. Why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because while I had a very serious conversation with 72 disc jockeys and said, if you want to do your own thing, you first have to follow the rules. Then next quarter or two quarters from now, we'll talk about you having your own show where you can play the kind of music you want. But before you do that, you got to follow the rules. I would, I, I'm sure Al would remember this. When Al, when I brought Al into the office, after reading the Riot Act to a lot of different disc jockeys, I sat him down and said, Al, he was a Brian, I haven't interfered with you in any way, right? And he goes, nope. You get to do exactly what you want to do, right? Yep. That's all I need. Thanks, Al. Carry on. So that is my one, that is my one claim to fame, is that I recognized... Um, <laughs> there was anybody would okay yeah. but i recognized there was something special about al did i know that someday he would walk on water in the entertainment <laughs> business no way <laughs> nobody could see that coming i mean he's it's uh, what has he sold 12 million albums something like that yeah at least 12 million albums somewhere around 14 million or so i believe wow I mean, in my head, I'm going, watch, I'm a physics major. Wow, 12 million an album times $10 an album. <laughs> I can do that in my head. <laughs> so anyway, he had a huge amount of success. And you, you, I, I can't emphasize this enough. To me, and to the many talented people that were there at the station, um, Randy Cardoon. If you haven't interviewed Randy Cardoon, you should. Randy's great. I think Randy did his first music video, you know, as a special project. Um, I mean, to, to everybody who went to school with Al, I think, nobody, nobody would ever go, oh, we knew this guy was going to be the even more than Spike Jones of the 1980s, 90s, and well into the 21st century. Nobody could know that because he was just a guy we went to school with who was exploding with energy, who created a scene in the main control room because he would have a group of people around, a group of kids around watching him do his nine to midnight show on Saturday night. <laughs> um, and if he wanted to, he could probably have a nice uh, ultra modest career like the kind I've had in broadcasting. But of the amazing Mount Everest like heights that he's achieved, wow. 
it, it's still to this day I go, I'll go into Boo Boo Records or Cheap Thrills in San Luis Obispo when I'm passing through town. Mm-hmm. And I'll go in and I'll be looking for, oh, I don't know, one of my Neil Diamond records that I haven't had in my collection. <laughs> and there will be Al staring at me from one of his things. And I, I just think, uh, Al, wow. I just think good for you. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. I don't know what you asked me, but uh, Dave and Ethan, how, how are we doing so far? <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No, Al was different even then. Probably from 1959 on, Al was different. <laughs> Here's the thing about Al. Okay, we weren't born yesterday, neither Al nor myself, um, and my career is twilighting extremely rapidly. But Al keeps going isn't that amazing <laughs> it is he keeps going <laughs> I, I have dandled these little kids on my knees who will come up to me with their mouths open and their eyes gaping and their parents will kind of shuffle them into the room and say he's the one and these kids will go ah, tell me about weird al went to school with um and actually i remember the guy who did this the guy who brought his kid in was the chief engineer at WNBC in New York, wow. which is no mean career. You know, that's yeah. achieving something. <laughs> and I said to his son, I said, Al was wonderful. You know, Al was uh, so funny, isn't he? And I, was gonna, I said, you know, your dad did pretty well as well. You know, WNBC, <laughs> that's big. And the kid would go, oh, he's just an engineer. <laughs> so wow. anyway, um, yeah, it's neat because Al just, he's done that rarest of things. Um, he just keeps finding a way to be relevant and funny. And what I like about Al, what I always liked about Al was, you know, okay, I'm watching Billions, this show. I guess you guys haven't seen it. It's on Showtime. And every eighth word is the F word. And it's like, come on, you guys, write the show. To like, it doesn't have to be every word. Not everybody talks like that. Yeah. And you don't have to do it, but they think they have to do it to be relevant and to be with it. Al is the least vulgar person I've ever known. Yeah. Well, let me take that back. Let me take it back. He can sometimes be gross. <laughs> not vulgar. You know, he's very you know, he's clean speaking, um, and he's he doesn't have to resort to it. Let me put it that way. He doesn't have to resort to it because Al is witty. That's what I loved about him. You know, I listen to his stuff, like the word game song. Yeah, word crimes. That is so clever. It is so clever. He hasn't missed a beat. In fact, he's better than ever. He's more clever than ever. And it's just a joy to listen to somebody who is witty, who nails it, who still does satire, and just does comedy that makes everybody laugh, whether you're 15 or whether, like me, you're in the ICU. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's great. And so... uh, uh, it's cool to hear you guys talk about how you first got interested in him because that was, of course, decades after I first knew him and uh, long before you were born. So he keeps, uh, he takes a licking and, and keeps on ticking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now, outside of your interactions with Al as the program director, did you have any mm-hmm. kind of other interactions with Al? Did you hang out with him on a regular basis or was it strictly a professional relationship? You oh, had? you mean back in college? Back in college, yes. Well, again, Al being an architecture student, you know, those guys worked. They really did. They they weren't, sorry about this, they weren't journalism students. Journalism students had more time than a corpse. <laughs> you know, they, never, 
They didn't study. They didn't, you know, <laughs> hang around. And then finally, <laughs> 10 minutes before the final exam, they might crack a book. Al was an architecture major. So Al was at it morning, noon, and night. He really was. It was a lot of work. So, and then I was doing physics, which was not a walk in the park. Um, so there was no time for me to, we were cross-cultural. He was architecture. I was physics. Um, so the time we interacted was never as buds, never to go out and get to grab a pizza, um, you know, and stuff like that. For that, you would need John Iverson, I remember, and Joe Early. Um, Randy Cardoon was, you know, uh, very familiar and friendly with Al. And I, you know, I've got, I pulled that. In fact, they dug it out. The capital single of My Bologna, <laughs> where Al wrote an inscription on it and said, you know, thanks for being supportive and thanks for being a friend and you're a real friend. Thanks, Al. And this is 1979. Wow. I can't emphasize this enough. I don't know who you guys went to school with, but you have to think of somebody there was just a classmate that you knew you hung with a little bit at the station or wherever you guys hung. Um, and he was fun and he was funny and he was talented. But again, you didn't know that he was going to be. It's like going to school with Billy Joel. <laughs> if you need me to explain who Billy Joel is, just stop me. <laughs> and then one day waking up and going, oh, my God, he's, he's got Piano Man. On, on the Hot 100, Billy has got, and then goes off to Christy Brinkley, for God's sake. Um, so it was the same thing with Al. Like this little kid, the engineer's son will come up to me and go, you knew Al. I go, well, yeah, I went, you know, I went to school with him. And I know Al is Al, and I'm, you know, God, in retrospect, grateful for that. I'm really thrilled that he's done so well because I love it when nice guys do well. And you can't do much better than Al's done. No, not at all. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So did we hang out in college? We'd see each other at the at the um, KCPR picnics, which we did. I'd see him around the station. Um, we we're all too busy. I'm sure he hung out with people. I'm sure I hung out with people, but mostly I hung out with the desk, the lab, and the books. And then when we got a chance, we'd be at the radio station. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have a chance to see one of his shows at the coffee house or anything like that? Back in the day, I didn't because, you know, again, I, was, I saw Al around the station. And, you know, Al would, we did little radio plays and stuff like that. So I got to see him uh, in his very earliest performance chops in like mm -hmm. 78, 79, 80, 81. Um, basically doing little radio plays at the station. I think there's recordings of those too, by the way. But... Again, those things weren't written by Al. Right. But they're kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't see him in performance around San Luis back in the day. But, you know, I I, I don't think he, I, don't, I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think he's changed that much. I know the energy hasn't changed that much. But nobody had, knew that he had this vast reservoir of you know, parody and satire and original stuff. Um, when I first saw him, doing uh desi arnaz you know doing his uh, his lucy thing i couldn't believe it i could not believe he could uncurl his hair like that it was incredible um so a lot of the stuff that he did in those early days in the 80s was like wow al's hitting the big time good for him 
You mentioned My Bologna, the Capitol Records single. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was famously recorded across the hall from the KCPR studios in the bathroom there. Mm -hmm. Both Ethan and myself have been there, you know, taken a pilgrimage to the the famous uh, graphics (laughs) arts building. building I thought you were going to say you were taking us something else. But yes, go (laughs) ahead. Well, we've done that too. (laughs) You were program director around that time or maybe at that time when he recorded that. Can you tell us kind of what your experience, you know, of, of hearing that Al had recorded My Bologna from the bathroom. Also, you know, the attention that the single did end up getting. What kind of attention did that bring to the radio station? I did, well, I didn't have anything to do with the recording. I was kind of hanging around the station that day. You have things to wrangle, FCC reports to fill out, shifts to fill. And I was kind of watching Dave Zimmerman, the engineer. And I think Mark Werfel was in on it, too, I think. Um, one hesitates to name names because this is such a hallowed event in the history of Al, but you don't want to mess with that history. But <laughs> I kind of saw Dave bringing mic booms and stuff into the bathroom and, you know, XLR cables and stuff like that and going, what the hell are they doing? Oh, it's a weird Al thing. Okay. Because <laughs> you know when you're a kid and when you're in college, you're doing all sorts of crazy things, you know? I mean, everybody's doing something. Setting things up, trying this out, trying that out. It's a great, great experimental time in life. Um, when if you get into trouble, your parents are there to pay for it. Um, <laughs> and so it was just one of those things. Again, nobody knew the great things that would flow out from this. Where I remember mic booms and cables and everything. Not elaborate. <laughs> very basic. <Yeah. laughs> and I think it was just because Dave Zimmerman thought, gee, we really need some reverb. And the equipment we have, just doing simple feedback, wasn't quite the effect we wanted. So Dave just stuck the microphone in the bathroom just for the reverb, and Al was in our little studio inside the station recording it. But I didn't pay a lot of attention, again, because it was like it's just one of the hundred things that are going on. Um, Yeah, and what I remember about it is, uh, well, that's one of the things kids are trying to do to make their mark, to, you know, see how good they are at it, to see if it can get anybody's attention, and... My God, when Capitol Records, we just thought it was a one-off. When Capitol Records, you know, I think, didn't the Knack come to Cal Poly? I think the Knack came to Cal Poly and Al managed to get in the presence of the members of the Knack and they knew the song, they knew the knockoff, uh, something like that, and convinced Capitol to actually release the very single. I think the Knack said, why don't you record this just as it is? Send it out raw. Capital, being the infinite cheapskates they are, said, oh, good, we don't have to pay for a <laughs> <laughs> um, And that very record came out. Yeah, that was impressive. And Al was the star of the month. And it was like, <laughs> but my impression was, gee, look at that. Al did that. But he's an architecture major, so he's going to go off and make a living and do the, you know, do the usual thing. Uh, again, even though that happened, even though Al got the single in Capitol Records, um, Al was thrilled. We were thrilled for him. Gee, I don't know that anybody, maybe except a select few, ever thought this would lead to something. I don't even know. Now, like I take, I was going to say, I don't even know if Al thought it would lead to something. Um, I just knew I was thrilled for him. Uh, he gave me a copy of the single with you know the inscription on it about being supportive of him and. And it was great. You know, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, what a thrill. I never knew, though, that here we are 75 years later. <laughs> it's not that long. I'm speaking <laughs> to your future audiences. Um, and, I, and, and I've still got this record, and I'm going, 
wow, I guess I have pulled this out for the podcast with, you know, Dave and Ethan to talk about that moment in 1979 when he went in to record this single and everything that flowed from that. So none of us thought, okay, I didn't see it coming, but boy, come it did. Yeah, and Al worked it. But if anybody could work it, it would be Al. I cannot communicate to you how much energy he had. It was pretty incredible. For the inscription, did he sign it Weird Al? Did he sign it Al? Oh, he was, you know, he was very much known as Weird Al when he was on the air. I mean, it was yeah. the 9 o'clock Saturday nights of the Weird Al show. Let me read it to you exactly what it says. It's very tiny architectural print. It says, <laughs> Brian, thanks so much for giving me your support right from the start. You're a real friend. Thank you. Al Yankovic. Okay, he didn't sign it Weird Al. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, then he went his way, I went mine, I got into TV. I was working at KGO, and he came to KGO's a TV and radio station in San Francisco, and I was working there, and Al was in town to do a show, and we missed each other. He came up to see me. This is funny. So around 1992, Al came up to um, see me at KGO, but I was out doing a story. And I came back to the station, and again, it was the open mouth look, and they're going, um, Brian... Yes. Weird Al was in here looking for you. <laughs> and everybody's going, how the F do you know Weird Al? <laughs> At least the guy said he was Weird Al. He looked like Weird Al. I thought it was somebody playing a joke. I said, well, Al and I went to school, and, you know. Um, and I'm sure Al watches my weather casts. And, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I forget what you asked me. But yes, you know, there have been a few close encounters with Al over the years, but um, we haven't exactly kept in touch because Al is off into the stratosphere now. And like I said, I don't want to bug him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I could. I'm sure if I want to get in touch with Al, I could. He's that nice of a guy. But I don't want to be one of the 12 million saying, Al, <laughs> prove to people that you knew me. Okay. <laughs> I've got my 45 record with Al's signature on it. Oh, he wrote me, and that's why I was going to tell you. He wrote me a very nice a note when he stopped in at KGO that was like a page long in his meticulous, uh, you know, printed handwriting. And, uh, you know, that was nice. I didn't pull that out. I've, mm -hmm. I've got it somewhere. <laughs> it's just funny to me because it would be, like, again, like you, Dave and Ethan, like some guy you went to school with, you know, years later, you would never realize that you would kind of, God, I almost hate to covet. You know, these few little, uh, you know, mementos of the past that you had because, um, wow, this guy did great things with his career and is doing great things. Um, and I'm thrilled for him. You know, Al's the kind of guy who would be thrilled by your podcast and touched by it. And I know that he's that, that he appreciates the, the attention and the appreciation of his work. And who wouldn't? It's great stuff. It's fun, especially in times like this. God, it's such a breath of fresh air. He's smart. He's witty. He's funny. He's relevant. Hey, he's still going strong, and yeah. that's that's a thrill. I'm 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 just pleased for him. Uh, Brian, just for the the collectors in Dave and I and our, and our listenership, can you tell us about the? Is it the purple single? Where did he sign it? Did he sign it on the the sleeve? I just I need to ask. Yeah, let's see. Is this a promotional? Con it's a the white label with the purple sleeve. Got it. Does that tell you what you want to know? Yes. The label itself is white. Yes. Yes, that tells us exactly what we need to know. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. This is not... Oh, my God. This is funny. I haven't noticed this. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Okay, it says not for sale, so it's a promotional single. Okay? Cool. 
And on the back, it says in tiny, 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 I'm surprised at my age, I can read this without glasses. It says not for sale. And then he's, no, I should, oh God. You know what? I'm going to send you a scan of it and you can see it. I don't want to say on, on the podcast what it says. Okay. <laughs> I'd okay. love to see it. There is a tease. <laughs> because I didn't, I, I never really noticed that before, but in tiny, tiny little letters, it says not for sale. And in his handwriting, it says two, and he mentions a name. We'll talk about that off the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah. In the years since then, I'll tell you a story. Here's a story. Is this an off the record story? Is this a. No, I think it's okay. I don't think okay. Al would mind. Okay. Um, I don't think he'd mind. Um, it was a long time ago. We're all kids, and we all took each other to... We didn't take each other. We took stuff too seriously back then. Mm-hmm. Al usually did 9 to midnight. Um, and he'd play his, you know, whatever music, you know, the B-52s and uh, the the Take Me to the River people. And I confess, sorry about that. Oh, I don't have to apologize for it. You know, we like what we like. I'd do Neil Diamond. I'd be doing the B-52s. Um and, and he got to be Al for those three hours. But he had to pull a shift where he filled in for somebody else during the week. And he used that time to parody, to play songs, to parody people's relationships. I was the program director. And at the time, I was dating the music director. Okay? Okay. Um, and so, and her name was Donna. And so... He was on the air, and he had to follow the format because he was on the air in the middle of the day, so even Al had to play oldies. Uh, well, you know, just twice an hour, but then we'd play some album, album-oriented rock and stuff like that. And then the Lemon Pipers and Green Tambourine. So Al would pretend that he was interviewing me and Donna and play excerpts from songs. So it'd be things like, and I, again, I liked Neil Diamond and Gordon Lightfoot. It was not even back then quite the thing to like in college. Whatever. <laughs> I was on the air, and he'd say, So, uh, Brian, who do you think is the most ideal man for our music director? And he'd play a clip from Neil Diamond. I am, I said. You know, and, <laughs> and stuff like that. He'd keep going on. Um, and I, I was listening to it in the audience, and the station was howling because everybody knew that I was dating the music director, <laughs> and now a relationship was being broadcast. And our station was listened to back then to the entire Central Coast. And to me, it was, you know, I, what was I, 19, something like that. I was going, oh, I don't know if I like this being the subject of mockery. <laughs> um, you know, so it slightly hurts. You're just a kid, you know. Yeah. Um, well, my memory of this, and it may not be totally accurate, is that Al parodied somebody, and it was all meant in good fun, of course, and that somebody didn't like it, and he let Al know he didn't like it. And I came into the studio, fresh from being a victim of uh, his rapier wit, and (laughs) Al was in tears because he was so upset because somebody had chewed him out and said, you know, leave me out of your satire. And Al was literally in my arms in tears. Um, and I've told the story of the VH1 before. And I think that might have been uh, a little bit of a wake-up call to Al that, you know, the, the stuff that you do, especially when it became huge, um, is something that everybody may not be behind if you're kind of using their work um, to have fun with. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that his ratio, most people say, most people have a good sense of humor, they're grown-ups, they're adults, and I think a lot of the artists who are big themselves love Al 
but I, but there's a select very few that go, no, I take work seriously and I'm not going to lighten up and I'm not going to let you parody it. And to his credit, I don't think, you guys can correct me if you're wrong, you know more about it, but the last I heard, if the artist says, I don't want you to do it, no matter how clever, I won't do it. And, and I don't know if that tiny little incident from 1980 or so had something to do with Al being careful about making sure he didn't hurt anybody's feelings because that is the last thing, is the last thing he'd want to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's totally accurate, yeah. So anyway, that was, that was the Al I knew back in the day. <laughs> what other little cavities of ignorance can I fill in for you from, you know, back in the uh, day of the electric light? I feel like one of those, like the VH1 or MTV special, claimed that Al was kicked off KCPR at one point. Oh, let me tell you, let me, let me set the record straight. He was. Um, not during my tenure. Uh, it's funny, you know what? I told somebody from, you know, from the group back then, I said, oh, I'm going to be doing this podcast. And they said, you know, there's this rumor that Al was um, kicked off the air when Blank was program director. And it wasn't true. It, he, he was, after my tenure, booted off the air with the theory that Al should follow the format, <laughs> which is something I said, okay, doesn't apply to Al, but yes, it applies to everybody else. Al was clearly exceptional, but a subsequent program director did say, no, we got to make everybody follow the same rules. And I, I mean, I can understand that. And in retrospect, it makes a great story. But the person who did that is also a very nice person and is going on to have a family. And we all took ourselves a little too seriously then. And, and and she's a great person, but she does suffer from that yeah. from that little incident back in school. Um, and I know she meant well, but that's you know that's just what happens when you're kids, you know. But it did happen, yes. Now there's another story or rumor out there that Al was pranked, you know, once on his show, and he ended up telling the students that classes were canceled the next day ended up getting in trouble for that over the radio were you involved at all in that incident wow i love that story i've never heard it um <laughs> i you know what it could have happened but i don't remember anything about anything like that happening you know al wasn't was no dummy by any means so it would be hard to believe but we're kids anything can happen to your kids yeah <laughs> yeah but i don't know guys sorry about that i don't know if that happened or not I just know that he was, you know, fun on the air and funny. Have you guys heard, I don't know if there's any that are out there, recordings of his shows at KCPR? Yeah, there's not a lot out there. Well, you know how he, uh, you know how he started every show? Please tell us. <laughs> not aware. Please, yes, please let us know. Oh, well, this is a good bit of, well, my, okay, every show. So there was a disc jockey on from 6 to 9 p.m. just before out. And then Al would come on at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night, week in and week out. And so after hearing some moderate to up-tempo, sometimes unfamiliar rock from 6 to 9, Al would come on at 9 o'clock to the strains of Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life. <laughs> and poor little Debbie, daughter of Pat, who, by the way, Pat Boone, still alive. You would hear the first bar or two of that song so many nights whatever it is and then the sound effect of a needle being ripped off the record and going <laughs> straight into the b-52 <laughs> so he would, week after week and it was just as funny the 67th time as it was the first time and you knew weird al was there um 
And he would yell and he'd scream. I can say, God, you know, just at this moment, I got this image in my head remembering him being right at the microphone, kind of almost talking so loud with so much energy, almost spitting in, well, not almost, <laughs> spitting into the microphone with his curly <laughs> auburnish reddish hair and his glasses and the mustache. It was a shock to me when I saw that he lost the glasses um, and the mustache. Um, I'm going, oh my God, I guess that's Al. Anyway, he just had this energy to be spitting into the microphone never directly into the microphone, turning his head to the side because he was uh, talking so loud. Oh right. my God, the disc jockey who followed him was Al Clark at midnight. And Al would always say, and coming up at the midnight hour, Al Clark! <laughs> scream the name. Uh, Al Clark, I haven't thought of him in years. Anyway, so Al on the air. I wish you guys could have been there to see it. There were always about 10 or 15 students in the um control room against the rules but it was al <laughs> gather around to watch the show and they loved it and he put on a sitting at the microphone performance while he was playing <laughs> records um so yeah those are fun times those were great days um but did uh, i keep saying this but did we ever know that what would follow would follow man not me but i was, I was just so glad that it did it's amazing. So uh, another DJ right around that time was from the Dr. Demento show, Beefalo Bill Burke. Is he someone that you interacted with? Oh, my God. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Beefalo Bill, sure. Or uh, Beefalo, from what I remember, yeah. Or maybe I'm thinking of Bicycle Bob. Boy, there were a lot of <laughs> <laughs> Were you the program director when Beefalo was there? The name is so familiar that I would have to think we at least crossed paths either before or after because my roommate took over as programmed or I think, no, two years after I was there, Rick Turner, who was also brilliant. God, there were a lot of really bright people there. Gone on to great things. But anyway, why do you mention Beefalo? Well, Beefalo, he was a, a part of the Dr. Demento show and was a friend of Al's. No kidding. Gosh, I didn't know that. See what I learned by tuning into you guys. <laughs> Oops, sorry, not tuning in. Whatever it is we're doing. No, I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Um, oh, my God, and was that fame to be on Dr. Demento. You know, the Capitol pressing was one thing, but to be on Dr. Demento, who was legendary. Yeah. I mean, I, I listened to him when I was, in, you know, a kid. And now this guy that I knew was on Dr. Demento, uh, I, well, that was something, man. But no, I didn't know that he went on to be... You mean after Cal Poly, Beefalo Bill went on to be on Dr. Demento? Yeah, he was before and after Cal Poly. And when he went to Cal Poly, uh, Dr. D told him to go find Al, or vice versa. Dr. D kind of set them up like, hey, you guys would like each other as friends. <laughs> well, that shows you how in the loop I was. You know, once you go into management, you don't get invited to parties anymore. So. <laughs> That must have been what happened. But I did, But the name is absolutely familiar. Bill, if you're out there, uh, it was a long time ago, as I'm sure Bill knows. Yeah. Um, but they were, they were fun times, tough times. We took it all seriously. And, um, but boy, it was fantastic to see him at every step of the way after he did what he did, which is, here's the crazy thing. It's still going on. Yeah. He's still doing stuff. <laughs> He's not only doing stuff, it's not on the fringes. Yeah. He's still very relevant. He's still very popular. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Obviously, I don't know that we've really covered it yet, but you've been in the news industry for many years. You've been on PBS, Good Morning America, CBS, Evening News. You know, we mentioned all the awards you've won, and you've also interviewed a lot of 
incredible people, a lot of famous people. Have you ever interviewed Al outside of your time at KCPR? You know, I haven't. I think kind of for two reasons. Again, I don't want to bug him. I don't want to. I don't want Al to go. Oh God, that guy. I guess I owe him a favor. <laughs> um, and second, I, I just don't want to. I don't know. I've never wanted to take advantage of it. Um, in the early days, I could have because he hadn't gone to the stratospheric heights that he, and it probably would have helped him a little bit, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but in the latter days, when he did walk on water. In an entertainment sense, um, it was like, oh, well, God, he's bothered by so many people. I'm not going to be the latest. So, no, I never did. Isn't that funny? Um, but, you know, what's better than that, better than scoring an interview with Weird Al, is having spent those years with him, even though you didn't know it was coming, and knowing, too, that, he, you know, he is a pal. He is a friend in the 30-year-ago sense, and in the sense that if I wanted to, I think, you know, Al would go... Okay, put his call through. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He'd be very, he'd be very nice about it. He'd be nice about it. Um, but you know what? We do share something in common. I'll tell you the best interview I ever got. My right hand, which I'm holding up in front of the microphone, my right hand has shaken hands with Paul McCartney. Wow. And Paul McCartney was Legendary. The, he was the nicest guy. We had five minutes with him back in the 80s. Wow. Um, and uh, boy, for that five minutes, he was gracious. He was friendly. He was funny. He was the opposite of a disappointment. And I, you guys tell me that he's a he's a big Weird Al fan too, right? Even though I guess he did not let Al parodies one of his songs. Absolutely, yeah. Paul McCartney has appeared with Al in Al's movie, Al's Brain in 3D, which is only broadcast at the Orange County Fair, but it was part of this big multimedia extravaganza. But but he's worked with Paul McCartney, and Paul McCartney's been on record saying that, you know, he's a Weird Al fan, and vice versa, Al is a huge Paul McCartney fan as well. In fact, Ethan and I went to go see Al on concert on the last tour, and we were talking to him about the podcast, and we had asked him, you know, if there were any guests that, you know, you want on the podcast, you know, who would it be? Who would you like uh, Ethan and myself to try to track down? And his suggestion was Paul McCartney. Now, we're still working on trying to get Paul McCartney into the studio for an interview, but I was, you know, wanted to hear about your experience interviewing Paul McCartney. And I also want to know if you have any tips for us for when we eventually do get Paul McCartney on the podcast, you know, what we should ask him. Well, I have a tip for how to get him on the podcast. Find out some way to blackmail him because that's what we did. <laughs> We were at a small state. This is where we started out, and San Luis Obispo has a TV station, KSBY, and that was my first job in television, and Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson were in town in a tiny little town in California, an hour south of the station, called Los Alamos. Not, not the New Mexico Los Alamos, but the little town Los Alamos. And Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson were trying to keep it a big, big secret that they were shooting the Say, Say, Say music video there in a big barn that now is an antique store in Los Alamos. You can still go where they shot this music video. Hmm. Um, and we got wind of it. Back in that era, it was TV, newspaper, radio. And we had a massive rating on the TV station because we're the only game in town. Helps to be a monopoly. So we had a huge <laughs> audience, even if the huge audience was only 100,000 people. But we called when we learned that they were shooting the music video there. We called and said, um, we'd love to interview Paul McCartney. Can you imagine? A bunch of kids from a TV <laughs> station. And their people said, yeah, you know, 
so, so does Dan Rather, but the answer is no. Are you joking? And I said, okay, well, we don't have to interview him, but we will announce on the newscast that you're shooting the music video down there. And if we do that, you'll have about 10,000 people to contend with. I feel like Bobby <laughs> Axel running billions. Um, and they said, okay, you can interview him tomorrow at noon. Oh, my God. Can you imagine interviewing a Beatle? <laughs> you weren't kidding about the blackmail. <laughs> so we went down there at noon with our three-quarter inch decks ready to interview him. Paul McCartney did not step in front of our cameras for eight and a half hours. We got him at about 8.30 at night. Wow. Um, and for that five minutes, which I still have lovingly preserved on magnetic tape, <laughs> for that five minutes, what a sweetheart. What a nice, nice, nice guy. And I can still feel his hand on mine as I shook it. Um, the people who surrounded him, however, were thugs. Uh, they were <laughs> they were bo big, big bodyguard people, um, these guys from the Italian mafia. And so when the interview was over, it was over. <laughs> it was over. Um, but Paul himself is, in, and I can understand why a guy like Paul McCartney has to have that kind of protection. So, uh, Dave, Ethan, blackmail. That's what I suggest. <laughs> we'll get right on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is your career as a meteorologist, I was wondering if you ever came across this Weird Al clip. It's a little bit obscure, but it's possible you may have seen it. Back when he was doing the Weird Al show, the actual TV version of the Weird Al show, which was on CBS back in the 1997 through 1998, it was a kid's TV show. He mm -hmm. had this parody of, like, back in the 1990s, if you remember, they had all these disaster movies, you know, about um, different uh, natural disasters like Twister and Volcano and Dante's Peak and that kind of stuff. Well, he mm -hmm. did this parody of a movie trailer, you know, where the natural disaster that was coming was a 60% chance of rain. <laughs> I didn't see it, but I did see the show. I did see a bit of the show. And it, like everything else, it was so witty. It was so funny. It was so clever. You know, the stupid slides they put behind us on newscasts to show the disaster du jour. Uh, you know, Al would have actual human hands come in with, you know, pieces of plywood with things painted on it. <laughs> Slap them in behind Al. Um, so I didn't see the weather parody, but I did see the show. And yeah, God, you know, his talent just doesn't. And maybe that's why he's still going. He's still got a, <laughs> such a reservoir of it. Um, you just wonder, you, honest to God, Al's got to be, he has to be 60. More. You think, one of these days, doesn't he have to slow down? <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Oh, we hope not. We hope he does not slow down anytime soon. No. Oh. May he, long may he wave. Now I'm curious about, you have a documentary you did about Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, God, look at you guys. Yes, I love Hitchcock, and Hitchcock sh loved the Bay Area. Um, when he was shooting uh, Rebecca back in 1940, one of his stars was Joan Fontaine, and Joan Fontaine grew up in nearby Saratoga, Los Gatos. She went to high school there, and she said to Hitchcock, you know, Hitchcock loved the area. It was the first time he'd seen it. They were faking the Big Sur coastline to be the English coast. Um and she said, you know, if you like this so much, you should see the Santa Cruz Mountains. And she showed Hitchcock the uh, place that he bought in 1940 when he was shooting Rebecca. And he lived there until 1970 or so when he sold it 
because the Santa Cruz Mountains are out in the woods, and he was afraid, Hitchcock, was afraid that with the Manson murders that there was this cult that was going to go after celebrities. It was a frightening time, and so Hitchcock got out of the Santa Cruz Mountains. But in between then, in 1970, he did Shadow of a Doubt. He did Vertigo. Great film. He did, uh, well, he did Shadow of a Doubt, Rebecca, Vertigo. He even shot a little bit of a, not a very good movie, that thing he did in 1969. Can't remember the name of it. But shot it in and around the Bay Area. So I just went back and shot it. Oh, the birds up in Bodega Bay. We shot the same stuff that Hitchcock shot to show before and after, what it looked like then, what it looks like now. Wow. Talked to his daughter, uh, asked what he, what the man was really like, and I loved that. Um, it was great fun. And I think it's um, up to about 160 views, and I think two of them must be yours. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, you know, I'm curious about something, you two. Who are some of the people that you are trying to get uh, to be on the show because of, you know, you know, of their uh, fondness for Weird Al? Well, obviously, Paul McCartney, we would love to have on the show anytime (laughs) he's available. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we would love to reach out to anyone who's a Weird Al fan. I know that we were tossing around, you know, a a goal of ours, you know, someday would be to get Lin-Manuel Miranda on the show because he is a huge Weird Al fan as well. Uh But really, I mean, we're happy to talk to anybody who has had any kind of interaction with Al, any of his parody targets, you know, anybody who's worked with him back in his radio days, for example. You know, anybody Mm -hmm. who has a connection with Weird Al, we love to talk to them. Great. Yeah, well, that's a, you know, he's certainly done so many things, written books, done movies, obviously done the songs, that there's a pretty rich field to draw from. So you will make it to your 2000th episode and... (laughs) You will then get Weird Al himself on the show, and I'm certainly going to be listening to that. You know, what's what's really important for us is to talk to people like you, Brian, who were there for the, the formative years, because there's the least amount of information about that period out there, because it was so early, and, and you know, that stuff wasn't recorded the way that it was when Al was on MTV and, and in the movies and, you know, having the, the records and stuff. So getting a glimpse at what Al was like in college when he was a radio DJ, getting his start, getting the name Weird Al, that is so important to us. So getting to talk to someone like you is one of our favorite things to do. Oh, well, I'm glad to have, I'm glad to have helped. I'm glad it's about such a nice guy too, because I, like you, have, you know, met some pricks in the entertainment <laughs> world. And, and Al is the opposite. He's a nice guy. And I'm sure you'd find a lot of people who have a lot of nice, nice things to say about him. But I mean, uh, the Weird Al was Weird Al the, from the minute I met him, uh, meaning he already had the moniker. Right. And I'm not quite sure where it came from, except it obviously fit because he had such a <laughs> different take on everything. He was bouncing off the walls. I have never seen that man tired or exhausted. Um Oh, God, you know, I remember he used to help out at, we used to have to raise money for the station. Um, You know, it was a public radio station. And he would be at the benefits for the station right up there with, um, you know, all the rest of us. Uh, You know, asking the people to to phone in. And Al was popular, and so when Al was on the air, people would phone in and they'd pledge (laughs) a pittance, but we only had a pittance back then. You know, when I think back on it, there were a lot of talented people that came out of there. There's Dave Curley, who went off to ABC News. There's Conan Nolan, who now works at KNBC. Randy Cardoon is down at CBS in Los Angeles. Um, I mean, Randy Page. Well, Randy Cardoon's done great things, too. And um, that was all pretty good success, to work for the network and to do all that stuff. 
coming out of a small town Central California campus. There are a lot of, you know, Nancy Bauer went off to be news director at KNBC, never hired me. It's okay, Nancy. <laughs> um, Nancy still working as a news director. So there are a lot of talent that came out of there. And Al was just the, Al was like this mountain in your community that you knew, everybody knew it was a volcano, but it hadn't done anything. <laughs> it was part of the landscape. It occasionally put out a puff of steam. <laughs> But in the years after that, when it erupted, you just went, oh, my God, we knew it. We knew it. We knew that it had steam and we knew that it was hot, but we never knew it was going to erupt like that. But boy, erupt it did. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Really looking back on it. It's pretty amazing. But I, I honestly don't harbor any deep, dark secrets about, oh, my God, I can never tell them about the time that Al <laughs> did this, because there were no times like that. Right. Al's very sweet. Al's very funny. Um, Al doesn't cuss. All those quaint, old-fashioned 19th century things. But he's brilliant. <laughs> he's witty. He's funny. And long may he wave. He's a great guy. Thank you so much to Brian Hackney for sharing his amazing stories of working on KCPR and working with a young DJ Weird Al. Yeah, and I mean, he has so many Emmy Awards and so many other awards and accomplishments. How often do you think people are like, hey, we don't care about that. We just want to hear about when you were the <laughs> program director with Weird Al. <laughs> yes, thank you so much to Brian. If I lived in California, I totally would use him as my number one news source. But since I don't live in California, there's a different website I go to for all my up-to-date news. That's shakewell.com. S-H-A-K-E-W-E-L-L-E dot C-O-M. Ah, yes. Shakewell.com. S-H-A-K-E-W-E-L-L-E dot C-O-M. What a great website. You know, what I'm really digging is I'm really digging the brand new chat feature that they just recently added to that website. Oh, yeah. I saw that it's filled with celebrities posting awesome comments. Yeah, I saw comments on there from Adam Sandler, Terry Crews, Rebel Wilson, and even our very own intern, Frank. Yes, and Chuck E. Cheese himself makes an appearance. It is just filled with riveting discussions. Anyone can join the fun. Head over to S-H-A-K-E-W-E-L-L-E dot C-O-M. I can't get over that chat, Dave. I'm going to head on over to shakewell.com right after this episode and hang out in the chat until next week's episode. That's how much fun I have over at shakewell.com. <laughs> you and me both, Dave. Each week we can bring you guys this amazing podcast absolutely free thanks to sponsors like Brito Brito, Angel Valenzuela, and his son David Cash, Jackson Scoggins, and all of our amazing Patreon supporters like Kat, Blair, and so many more. Patreon helps us pay the bills and ensures that we can continue doing what we love, and that's making fun, family-friendly, entertaining Weird Al podcasts for you each and every week. Please join us in thanking all of our supporters over at patreon.com slash 2000inch for making this podcast possible, and please consider joining our Patreon family for as little as $1 per month. Another way to support the podcast is by purchasing merchandise from the official Dave and Ethan's 2000inch Weird Al podcast shop. Dave, it's not live, but I saw we have an option of making fanny packs. Should we do fanny packs? Oh, what a cool idea. Then we can be just like Jack Black in the tacky video. How awesome is that? 
<laughs> if you want to see Fanny Packs make an appearance in the official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast shop, let us know. But in the meantime, head over to shop.2000inch.com for amazing t-shirts, tote bags, pillows, and so much more. Thank you once again to Brian Hackney, and thank you to Johnny O'Hearn, Eric Rhodes, Lieutenant Dan, hey! and all of our listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters, and sponsors, and thanks to everyone who follows us at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do your part and tag fun, weird out, or podcast-related posts on social media using hashtag 2000inch and hashtag gill and chill. And be sure to join our Facebook group by heading on over to group.2000inch.com if you have not already. Find us online at weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com. Make sure to share your posts, tell your friends about the podcast, and we love it when you leave us voice messages on our 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula. You might even hear your message on the air. You already know where to find us, but do yourselves a favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or the podcast app of your choice and hit that subscribe button. This way you will not miss a single episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Bonus material can drop at any time. And I wanted to update everyone. Vince Patterson still has the rubber chicken from the Eat It video. And that's a wrap. Another great episode, Ethan, but I'm really concerned about that spatula message. I thought Johnny's message was fine. That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, episode 78. Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast. We're joining with stations from coast to coast to bring you the best in Weird Al recollections, ponderings over memorabilia, and maybe someday, Weird Al himself. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave and Ethan.